A source close to Deutsche Bank says that the co-signers of Donald Trump's Deutsche Bank loans are Russian billionaires close to Vladimir Putin. From Pacifica Radio, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, elsewhere in California on KFOI, Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka, in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, and Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, KGRN, in Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, and Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, in Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today you got me again. I am Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show at NicoleSandler.com. Always happy to be filling in for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen on the broadcast. We live in a nation where a free press is a constitutional guarantee. Right there in the First Amendment, it says that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. But we're living in dangerous times when the lunatic in the Oval Office calls the Fourth Estate the enemy of the people. Today, we'll speak with two members of the press, a conversation with this generation's answer to Hunter S. Thompson, in that he's covering the 2020 elections for Rolling Stone magazine, Matt Taibbi. And we'll also have a follow-up conversation with Brian Karam. He's the White House correspondent for Playboy and a contributor for CNN, whose press pass was pulled for 30 days by the White House. He's suing, and he was in court, On Tuesday, we spoke with him a few weeks ago, the last time I filled in for Brad here on the broadcast, and we'll find out what's going on with his lawsuit against the White House. But we begin, as usual, with a look at what's happening in our world. I read the news today, oh boy. Breaking news Wednesday, Johnny Isaacson made it official. He is resigning at the end of 2019 due to health concerns, as the senator from Georgia says his Parkinson's disease has been progressing. That makes it both Senate seats from Georgia up for grabs this November. All eyes immediately turn toward Stacey Abrams, who dashed any hopes with a statement from her spokesman that reads, quote, Our thoughts are with Senator Isaacson and his family. Leader Abrams' focus will not change. 
She will lead voter protection efforts in key states across the country and make sure Democrats are successful in Georgia in 2020. While she will not be a candidate herself, she is committed to helping both Democratic candidates win both Senate races next year. Lawrence O'Donnell opened his Tuesday night show on MSNBC with some potentially game-changing news, saying that Deutsche Bank has Donald Trump's tax returns. He told the story of firsthand information given him by, quote, one source close to Deutsche Bank, who he says revealed information to him about documents in their possession. A source close to Deutsche Bank says that the Trump tax returns reveal that the president pays little to no income taxes in some years. And the source says that Deutsche Bank is in possession of loan documents that show Donald Trump has obtained loans with co-signers and that he would not have been able to obtain those loans without co-signers. The source close to Deutsche Bank says that the co-signers of Donald Trump's Deutsche Bank loans are Russian billionaires close to Vladimir Putin. If true, that would explain every kind word Donald Trump has ever said about Russia and Vladimir Putin. If true, if true, that would be a significant factor in Vladimir Putin's publicly stated preference for presidential candidate Donald Trump over presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. If the Second Circuit Court upholds these subpoenas, the president's tax returns and other financial documents could be used as part of the House Judiciary Committee's impeachment investigation. Just last week, Judiciary Committee Chairman Gerald Nadler asked four other House committees, including Financial Services and Intelligence, to share documents with his panel that could aid its impeachment probe. Stay tuned. Remember Donald Trump's wall? Well, it's back. The administration plans to build 20 additional miles of barriers along the U.S. southern border in Arizona and California. Donald Trump has repeatedly promised to complete 500 miles of border wall by Election Day, and he has directed aides to aggressively seize private land and disregard environmental rules to hasten construction before next year's election. Washington Post reporting the president has assured federal officials he would pardon them if they break the law dismissing worries about contracting procedures and the use of eminent domain. According to officials present at the meetings, Trump said, quote, take the land and, quote, don't worry, I'll pardon you. Hmm. And remember when he said Mexico was going to pay for this wall? Well, as usual, Trump was lying. On Tuesday, the administration diverted $271 million in disaster relief funding, including $155 million directly from FEMA's fund used for federal response to catastrophic events like oh, hurricanes and wildfires. Combined with existing facilities to hold immigrants, this funding would make it possible for ICE to detain nearly 50,000 people at one time. Now, as if on cue, Tropical Storm Dorian is expected to make landfall Wednesday in Puerto Rico, bringing with it dangerous flash floods and sustained tropical storm force winds. The island, of course, is still recovering from 2017's Hurricane Maria, so any impact could have devastating effects on an already depleted infrastructure. Dorian is expected to become a Category 1 hurricane by Friday evening as it tracks east of the Bahamas. That means Florida could see a hurricane over Labor Day weekend. Again, stay tuned. 
Little further south, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro Tuesday morning rejected $20 million in international relief to combat the wildfires eating away at the Amazon rainforest. But before the day was out, the Brazilian government walked back the rejection and now says it will accept the money. But there are still concerns about how the government will be able to administer the aid. Bolsonaro has made his apathy about the situation clear. He engaged in a protracted spat with French President and G7 leader Emmanuel Macron over proposed international solutions to the crisis. Bolsonaro mocked Macron's wife and accused the French leader of disrespecting Brazil's sovereignty. And his chief of staff skewered the French for the fire that damaged the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Macron has called Bolsonaro a liar and said Brazilian women are probably ashamed of their president. Donald Trump, of course, weighed in on Twitter to salute Bolsonaro saying, quote, he is working very hard on the Amazon fires and in all respects doing a great job for the people of Brazil. I don't make this stuff up. I just report it. More election troubles ahead as the Federal Election Commission will effectively shut down this after a Republican appointee resigned, leaving the panel without a legally required four-member quorum. Republican appointee Matthew Peterson, who was nominated to be a federal judge by Trump before withdrawing after being unable to answer basic legal questions, announced his resignation from the FEC on Monday. This comes days after Peterson and the other lone Republican on the panel blocked the FEC from investigating a complaint alleging that Russian operatives may have illegally funneled money to the Trump campaign through the NRA. And that's just some of what's happening in the news now. Wait five minutes, there'll be more. But we've got a busy show to continue, so we'll take a quick break and come back on the other side for a conversation with journalist Matt Taibbi. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, your guest host today on The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. If you want to know about the bishop and the actress, if you want to know how to be a star, if you want to know about the stains on the mattress, you can read it in the Sunday papers. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, filling in today for Brad and Desi. With America's free press under constant attack by the president, 
journalistic integrity is even more important now than ever before. The lines are purposely blurred between real and so-called fake news by this administration, and the people are confused about who is to be trusted. Then there's the problem that the news just isn't objective anymore. The U.S. media has a big challenge ahead in covering the 2020 elections. Now, I don't hold out much hope for objective coverage, as we witness daily smears of the most progressive candidates in the race. So I thought that today would be a good time for a chat with the man covering 2020 for Rolling Stone magazine. Matt Taibbi is an author and a journalist who's reported on just about everything from politics on down. He's written several books, including Insane Clown President, The Divide, and Griftopia, and he's got a few in progress as we speak. And Matt Taibbi just launched his own podcast along with Katie Helper called Useful Idiots that you can get at rollingstone.com. And lately, I've been reading his stories about the Bernie Sanders bias in the corporate mainstream media. So, Matt Taibbi, you have a couple of pieces up at Rolling Stone now. The one that caught my eye last week was the one you wrote on, uh, it was, the headline read, The Campaign Press, Members of the 10% Reporting for the 1%. But it really focused on, uh, the way I look at it, is the media dissing of Bernie Sanders. It's like the media, the corporate mainstream media, got together and said, we can't have Sanders. <laughs> and, and so we're going to work together to uh, not cover him, to ignore him, to have sort of a Bernie blackout. And as people, journalists, consumers of news started pointing this out, uh, some of the members of the media got more and more defensive about it. And you took that on in this piece. And I thank you for it, even going so far as to comment on MSNBC. And it just it seems like they've got a vendetta against him. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things about campaign journalism that people probably don't understand all that well is that it's really very much like high school. Um, <laughs> it's really a club and it's it's a small community of people who spend a lot of time with each other, especially once the campaigns really start to get going. Uh, you're really in a bubble and there's a there's very much a Heathers kind of a situation uh -huh. that goes on uh -huh. where <laughs> the cool kids who cover the campaign decide who is and isn't cool and who, who gets to be, who gets to hang out with all the, 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 the journalists and get the most airtime and the positive coverage. And I, I've seen this happen over and over again in the last five uh, presidential elections. I saw it with Ron Paul. I saw it with Howard Dean. Mm -hmm. I saw mm -hmm. it with, um, with Dennis Kucinich. But Sanders gets it more than anybody. The, the, the Heathers in, in the press corps just cannot stand him. And uh, it's really gotten, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's become a, you know, a major issue in this campaign, I would say. Uh, uh, so that, that's what this, the story was about. Right. And, and, I, and I watched it unfold. Look, I, I have this um, kind of uh, disgust, hate relationship with MSNBC <laughs> where, you know, I'll watch it because the, basically uh, because the lack of anything else uh, to get my news. So I take what they say with a grain of salt. But I happened to watch the segment where Mimi Roca um, said that Bernie Sanders makes her skin crawl and that he's just an anti-woman candidate, and there was no pushback, and my jaw dropped. And then I happened to see the Brian Williams segment 
um, after Sanders spoke and, and called out the Washington Post for their behavior, when he reads a, a, a tweet by this horse whisperer guy um, that was nothing more than a smear on Bernie Sanders, when they were talking about a wonderful sort of Twitter um, event, I guess, that the Sanders campaign is doing with people sharing their Bernie moments. And they and, and it was just it was just a smear. And and I, and I, and I appreciate, Matt, that you call it out because too many journalists are saying, well, I don't see a problem. Right. Yeah. No, that, that the Williams segment was amazing because I think, again, people have to understand the difference in the Mimi Roca incident. It, it happens. I mean, sometimes you have people on the air and they say things and, and it may or may not be rehearsed. But uh, in the case of the Williams thing, y- you have to prepare that segment. <laughs> so so somebody had to yep. dig up that tweet and yep. make a graphic That's and right. they, they had to line up the guests to do it. And um, so that meant they, that they sat down and thought about the idea that we're, go- we're going to take some random Twitter user who's not even named or interviewed uh, and may not even be a you know a hundred percent a real person or an uninterested party, and we're going to make that the focus of an entire block of a, of a cable news segment. That that shows you the extent to which you're you're going out of your way to to say you know this this person is not uh, a candidate we want to support, and especially since what the tweet was about was it was this idea that. Sanders didn't work hard enough for Hillary Clinton right. in 2016. And I, I, I interviewed Bernie during that time, Me and I, I knew that he was out on the road constantly giving speeches for her. And, and you know, well, in many cases, while well, she was doing fundraisers and not speaking herself. So that it's just not a real thing. And, and for them to do that, they must know what they're doing. Oh, oh, without a doubt. And it seems concerted, which it makes it even more despicable uh, because right. that's not how it's supposed to be. I mean, I've got my problems with the Democratic Party trying to, um, uh, you know, to hurt Bernie Sanders campaign. They obviously did the Democratic Party proper. The, the establishment doesn't want him as their nominee either. They don't understand that the party's role is to stay out of a primary and let the process do right. it, right? So, you know, yeah. th- there's issues there. But um, so Matt Taibbi, you've been writing for Rolling Stone for years, but when we get to presidential election time and you go into that mode, I wonder how much history weighs on you. Do you ever think about the Hunter S. Thompson legacy? <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, I have to. Yes, I, have, right. I have his job. And, mm-hmm. and you know, one of, one of the things that you have to worry about is not um, not becoming a cliche or falling into the same patterns that Hunter did. I mean, I, I started reading Thompson relatively late in my life. He wasn't one of the people I idolized when I was really young, but, uh-huh. you know, certainly when I was in my 20s, I read him a lot. And so you, you're trying to avoid falling into the trap of, of being too much like Thompson in your approach. And another thing that happens is because his book – Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail in 1972. It's such a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I wrote the inter- introduction for the last version of it. Oh. and and But everybody read that book, and so we all unconsciously uh, end up trying to make the same characters in the uh, when we do our coverage. So it, there's always like a, a Christ-like um, McGovern character <laughs> and a, you know, a traitorous musky character. And Nixon is the, is the evil one. And the uh-huh. obvious analog is Trump. So yeah, yeah you're trying to avoid 
falling into that for sure. Sure. And then there's, you know, the drugs and alcohol too. Right. Yeah. Yes, that too. I won't, yeah, I won't go there. Uh, Matt Taibbi, I love the, the current piece you've got up at, um, uh, at rollingstone.com and of course in the hard copy of the magazine is Trump 2020, Be Very Afraid. And the, the, uh, the subtitle reads, America is the first country to ever elect a mad king. And the way things are going, we may be dumb enough to do it twice. And the thing that I love about this piece is your analysis of what goes on in these Trump rallies. He's had these rallies. He never stopped after his campaign. He just launched right into campaign mode again. Um, There's a lot of, uh, I think, uh, illegalities going on there and who's paying for these rallies. But, But that's a topic for another day. What's more fascinating are the people that show up for these rallies. Um, these, are, are, these are true believers, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I think because people dis- dislike Trump so much, and I, you know, I would say justifiably, of course, the, the, the um, nature of his support is often misunderstood. The, there, a lot of people sort of believe that it's monolithic, that he um, is really just appealing to uh, race, and so you get a certain kind of character at his um, at his events, but that's that's not the case. I've I've watched the different sorts of people arrive at Trump's events in waves, uh, dating back to the beginning of his um, campaign in 2015, and in his first run, he really struggled to to um, make a case to the entire Republican Party. He had a lot of trouble getting more than 50% favorability, even with Republican voters. Now. You know his favorability ratings among among Republicans are you know like Insane. are comparable to any any other incumbent, and they come down from the hills to see his events. It's wow. it's it's unbelievable now how much attention he attracts, and and the level the level of enthusiasm you see at this, these events is far beyond where it was at the beginning of his last campaign. And that's where that's where the disconnect with me comes in, because I've looked at this clown for years whose presence when he would show up on my TV screen so disgusted me that I took look away. I mean, the thing on the top of his head, I find so disconcerting because there's nothing like it that appears in nature. You even noticed in the piece that um, the color of his hair was a, a weird, you know, color that it hadn't been recently. I mean, does he think people really think that his hair is? Is that yellow color? <laughs> yeah, I said, I said in the piece that it, it, it's, it looked like he'd been electrocuted in French's mustard. <laughs> um, but no, I, but I, I understand your reaction. And, and a lot of people, of course, have that reaction of just their visceral revulsion to Trump. But you have to imagine that you have an opposite point of view and the kind of person who arouses that feeling in you is somebody like Hillary Clinton. Mm. To that person... Donald Trump is like Christ on earth because what what he represents to these people is um, they're, they're vicariously enjoying the experience of how disgusted uh, people are by his being the president. So so if you hated Hillary Clinton your whole life, if you can't stand Chris Cuomo or Rachel Maddow, this this is the payoff for you. Uh, it's it's watching those people be disgusted. Uh, and horrified by the fact of of Trump being in office, they love that, and that's wow. that's that's the key thing about his appeal that people people don't get 
it's not so much that they love him, it's that they hate us. Well, but that's uh, so demented. Look, I, I don't care for those people. I was not a Hillary Clinton fan. <laughs> Made no secret about it. Though when Election Day rolled around, I pulled out my industrial strength nose clips and went in and voted for her because I was voting against him. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Chris Cuomo's either. Um, and I'm not a fan of Fox, but it doesn't, it didn't give me, gr- well, I, I guess I, I guess it did give me pleasure to see Obama win and them having to deal with it. Um, so there is that, I, I suppose. I, I just don't understand the, 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 the idea of putting somebody who is so ignorant about everything from the Constitution to the way things actually work in the world in the White House and thinking that's okay. And, the, and, and some people who say, well, yeah, I, you know, I have a problem with some of the things he says and does and the tweeting, but he's doing a good job. Where, do, where does that come from? Well, again, you know, for, for a lot of people in this country, see, you know, it's difficult, I think, for most people who are in journalism, especially to understand the Trump phenomenon, because we're coming from the perspective of hoping that uh, politicians have a real impact on our lives and on society, and that they can actually achieve things either negatively or positively once they get into office. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in this country just simply do not have the expectation that their vote matters at all in any direction. So the only thing they really get out of it is is like a, uh, an entertainment experience. They're, it's just a television show. Which one do they want to watch on TV? Which one do they enjoy watching on TV? Uh, and who gives them the most emotional kick uh, when they you know watch Twitter or watch people discussing it on, on television? They've, they've long since abandoned the idea that you vote for somebody and it might improve the economy or bring about some change in your, in your economic lifestyle. So this is what you get. You're getting basically a reality show where people are picking the characters and they, and they like Trump as a character. And so I know that sounds crazy, but, but that's, that's, the way it is, and that's what people explain to me anyway when I talk. Wow, it's just it's opposite world again. Uh, there's <clears throat> such a disconnect there um, uh, because I look at what's happening to the nation. Now, look, I've got no money in the stock market, so uh, it's it's frankly I can watch the market tumble uh, with a bit of you know of of um, distance. But right now, the Dow is down 624 points. And he actually tweeted something blaming it on the fact that Seth Moulton dropped out of the 2020 race. <laughs> right. Now, yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and look, he's he's starting a trade war right now with yeah. China. And so the whole world is freaking out. And but again, just to play devil's advocate, because because this is how it's going to be perceived. Uh-huh. Trump, Trump in 2015 and 2016 went out and he said, essentially what he said is you have been screwed over by an illiberal consensus for decades. Right. They, they instituted NAFTA and a series of other changes, um, you know, because they were being, because politicians are being sponsored by companies that have no allegiance to the, the United States. They're, they're as close to China as they are to us. China is doing all these terrible things. I'm going to stand up to China. So he gets into office and look, he doesn't understand how trade, Works. Works. work and he's, clear, he's he's clearly underestimating the United States ability to persevere in the, in that kind of a dispute so but his his followers will will see 
that verbally anyway, and he, he is standing up to China, and that's what they'll applaud him for. Right. And so it's so so that's they see it as a fulfillment of a campaign promise. But but they seem to have no problem with the fact that he's upending all these norms. In fact, I was uh, talking with my husband earlier about <clears throat> the fact that subpoenas have been issued in uh, something dealing with uh, I think Felix Sater or whatever, um, and they say well the subpoenas were issued they're going to show up, but you have the president who tells anybody who's ever worked for him, and in some cases, people who never worked for him, you can ignore those federal and congressional subpoenas. Just just ignore them. Don't show up. Um, I mean, it's totally upending uh, the way things work in this country. I, I think he's trying to render Congress obsolete because he's denying them their congressional responsibilities of oversight. Well, yeah, that's that's absolutely true, um, but and and at some point that is going to be a political loser for him because people are going to clue into the fact that as much as they may not like many things about the status quo in this country, uh, you know the, the United States is still compared to most places in the world a very high functioning society. Mm-hmm. And if you start pulling at the, the threads of you know the pulling at the the girders that underpin you know, the entire system, sooner or later, you know, somebody is going to crash to the ground and get hurt. And so you start pulling out of the, you know, the Kyoto Accord or you upend international trade agreements, you alienate, you know, 50% of your trade partners, uh, you defy Congress to the point where subpoenas are no longer effective, all these things, sooner or later, it's going to have real world consequence, but not yet. See, that's, that's the thing. It, it only has to last through next November right. to have a total you know, disastrous effect. And that's what he's banking on. I think if he, if he even thinks that much strategically at all, which I, I question a lot when I watch him. Right. I, I question that too. And, and I, I believe that all, you know, it's a, it's a scorched earth uh, way of going about things. He just wants things to stay until he's out of office and then it's not his problem anymore. He's even said that. Um, that said, there's a contradiction because he thinks he's going to get a second term. Um, you, uh, if I'm reading you correctly, Matt Taibbi, are saying it's very possible. Let's not rest on our laurels. Let's not get comfortable. Um, but what I see is 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 a a very fired up resistance, as it were, progressives on the left, made up of a lot of young people and some you know enlightened older people like me, who realize the way out of this mess is by electing a real progressive. But as we already discussed, you have the corporate media basically saying anybody but Sanders and to uh, some extent Warren too. I mean, this is, the, the, I guess, journalistic ethics, where I have a real problem with any media organization trying to put its thumb on the scale like that. Yeah, no, especially since they, they have such a, a terrible misread of how how voters think and what and what the consequences might be. Um, yeah. The, the reporters are still very much stuck in like a 1996 or, or a 2004 paradigm where the the candidate who is most electable is the one who's in the political quote unquote middle um, who has quote unquote moderate views on things. Yeah. Uh, but the press corps here is probably eight years behind the rest of the country because what's happened, you know, even even before the end of Barack Obama's term, we saw we saw this sort of radicalizing of the population where both in the Republican tent and in the Democratic tent, you saw these massive 
movements of discontent, um, you know, it, which expressed themselves in the Sanders movement on the Democratic side in 2015, and with Trump's election on the Republican side, and in uh, the same time, the way forward right now, it's it's about turnout and enthusiasm. Uh, there really is no middle moderate you know, big pool of independent voters that's going to swing the tide anymore. Right. So, you know, when I go to Trump events and I, and it's, they're uniformly negative about the kind of traditional Democrats. Um, but you mentioned somebody like Sanders or even Andrew Yang, uh-huh. um, you know, they're, they're interested in the kind of rebellious personalities and the other side, they, they like those more, even if they're you know, openly socialist. Right. Uh, they have more weight, I think, with what the voters we would call traditionally independent voters than than reporters think. You know, so that's that's why it's it's so bad that they keep pushing. That you, you, they're clearly pushing for a Biden. Yes. Win, and it's it, that's going to be a disaster. Right. Biden's, and, the, Biden's the worst possible candidate. To thank oppose. you, thank yeah. you for saying. I've said it constantly that if if they insist on pushing Biden down our throats, sorry, like they did with Hillary Clinton, we're going to wind up with the same outcome. We've got a very, a, a really excited young. Uh, vibrant movement of progressive, mostly young people and some old people like me who, who uh, want to change things for the better. They are inspired. They're they're motivated to organize and to move and to vote. If 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 we are saddled with a Joe Biden, all those people stay home. They're not going to inspire the independents who will want a revolutionary of some sort. They want change. Um, and I'm fighting this now here. You know, I live in, in South Florida. Well, there was a story in the you know, local newspaper here just uh, the other day that a group of Broward County Democrats have formed this new uh solvers committee, and they're demanding that the Democrats nominate a centrist, um, specifically not 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 Bernie and not Elizabeth Warren, pretty much anybody but, because they say that's the only way we're going to win. So I just uh, put out a call for the guy who's heading this committee. He's a Broward County commissioner now, Steve Geller, who I'm going to get him on the show next week. And frankly, um, this is why I'm not a journalist, because I'm going to tear him another hole for, <laughs> for daring to speak for me. I'm a Broward County Democrat. And how dare he say this is what we need? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, all, all of the things that you say are are, are true. <laughs> and, and also think about this. Just think about specifically how how Joe Biden as a campaigner would fit into Donald Trump's campaign strategy. Oh my God. Because Trump's Trump derives an, an enormous amount of energy from scrapping with his opponents. Mm-hmm. And Biden has a, has a very difficult time kind of not engaging with other candidates. And when he does, he's terrible at it. He, he ties his tongue in knots. Yep. He says things that are, that are not smart and Trump will, he will batter. Biden over and over again, and what what ends up happening when 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 you do that is that the press ends up attracted to the spectacle of the carnage, right? And they they end up giving tons and tons of free airtime to Trump uh, into the things that he says because because you can't not cover it, you know. Right. It's it's like the the thing when he said Hillary was schlonged by Obama. <laughs> um, they, even though they're repulsed by it, they'll give tons and tons of airtime and space to it. Of course, but it'll be it'll be worse for Biden 
when, oh. when, when that he's on the other side. Well, without a doubt, because his gaffes are already just uh, horrifying. I'm sorry. And from, from the little things to call Joe 30300, uh, right. which made no sense. I've got a little song to go here. Let me play for you. This is what that inspires, just in case oh, you're wondering. 30330. Joe. Three oh, three three oh. So if I have fun, go to Joe. Three oh, three three oh. You know. So if I have fun with Joe's three oh, three oh, oh, like that, can you imagine what the Trump sycophants are going to do? I mean, that's good-natured ribbing, but they're going to tear him apart. And he said, you know, uh, hey, poor people have just are just as smart as white people. I, you know, that's not okay. No, I mean, Trump's going to do the whole hello McFly thing to oh, him over oh, and over, over again. Over and over. You know what I mean? It's, he's just, he's just going to bang the guy's head against the lunch, the cafeteria table yeah. over and over. Yeah. And, you know, the, Trump is a difficult political opponent. I have to say this, having watched him for a while, at first I thought this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, but having watched him, he, he does tailor his approach to his opponents and he knows what their weaknesses are. And he, he knew how to wind up Jeb Bush. He knew how to wind up Rubio. He knew exactly how to, how to yep. trigger Hillary. Yeah. And, and B Biden is not as smart as any of those people, frankly. No. And no. so that's, that's what I worry about. Um, sure. Do you think, I, I think, I think either Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren could stand up to him adequately um, uh, each in a different way. What are your thoughts? Do you think either one of them would, would make a formidable opponent to him? Well, the thing that I that I think Ber the advantage that Bernie has over all of them is that Bernie does not talk to Trump. Bernie right. Ber Bernie Bernie addresses voters directly, yep, yep, and, and that is relentlessly almost to the point where he's boring about it. He that's his emphasis. When you when you watch the speeches, he 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 only talks to voters and he talks to their issues. And if he has to address another politician, he, he it's it's an aside, right? You know, oh, and, and that's how you beat Trump. Point. Ignore it and just yep. talk to his voters. Yeah, that's a great um, point. Warren, you know, she, ver verbally she'll be able to handle herself and she, she doesn't get herself into too much trouble. But um, I, I would say she has some vulnerabilities because, uh, you know, because the, the class issue is such a big deal with Trump mm. that you know, Warren is going to have a tough time communicating that she's more down with the middle American uh, because she's, you know, she's an upper class smart aleck from my home state of Massachusetts, you know. Yeah, but she's originally from Oklahoma and, you know, talks about her mommy and her daddy in Texas and going to college. I mean, she's, she's got, she's got, she's got it all in there. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know how much, yeah, yes, she does have that story. <laughs> yeah, um, right. but, but it, it, you know, the, with Sanders, it's much more plain. This is where, where the guy comes from. Right. And no, I hear. Hey, I, I, I'm a I'm a Bernie guy. I, I there there are my one two. I've got my my Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren action figures sitting here on my desk. I've got <laughs> the, got both their bumper stickers on my car. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm there. I, and I I real I mean I would love to see in an ideal world a Bernie Sanders Elizabeth Warren ticket. But uh, you know. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. And, and be great. yeah. I, even though you know Bernie has his vulnerabilities, but I do think I do think he has he has a, a blueprint for beating Trump, which is just to blow him off. Yeah, you know, and, and, and do case. what he's been doing for the last many decades and fighting the real fight. Matt Taibbi, uh, we all know we can read you at Rolling Stone at RollingStone.com, but there's another way to get an advance on what you're writing. You can subscribe to the Matt Taibbi 
I guess it's a newsletter, sort of, taibi.substack.com. You get not only um, the, you get a book, Untitled Gate, as it's being written. Tell us about this. Yeah, no, I've got multiple books on there, actually. <laughs> uh, I started serializing books on Substack uh, last year, at the beginning of last year, and since then I've written two, two, two and a half books on there. So uh, you, you kind of get, um, you, you got to get, Books as I'm writing them. The first one was a um, a story that I co-wrote with a drug dealer called "The Business Secrets of Drug Dealing." Wow. Then there was a book about the media that's coming out later this year called "Hate Inc." Um, and then there's a I'm writing one now about Russia Gate. So wow. and and sometimes I just will tee off on things. So you you can get that there on taibi.substack.com. Definitely, I will put a link on the blog along with today's podcast. Uh, to taibi.substack.com. Of course, don't forget Rolling Stone magazine for his great coverage of the 2020 election. And check out uh, the new podcast. Um, it, it's, it publishes every Thursday? Uh, it's going to be it's gonna be Fridays. Fridays. But, uh, useful Idiots uh, at Rolling Stone. Awesome. I can't wait. I will listen to it this weekend. Useful Idiots along with Katie Helper. Um, Matt Taibbi, thank you so much. I, I try not to call on you too often because I, I know how precious your time is, but I so appreciate oh, you joining us. Always love talking to you. Thanks, Nicole. Thank I you so much. Go. Rolling Stone's Matt Taibbi on the broadcast. Coming up next, a follow-up with journalist Brian Karam. Now, he was on with me a couple of weeks ago, the last time I was filling in for Brad and Desi. It was shortly after that so-called social media summit at the White House, where the real fake news people were seated up front in the Rose Garden, and the actual real news people, the ones that Trump calls fake news, were relegated to the back. And Brian Karam got in a little kerfuffle with Sebastian Gorka and some of the other trolls. Karam was in court on Wednesday. We won't have the results until later this week or probably next week. But in the meantime, I thought a follow-up conversation about what happened that day was in order, and I thought you'd appreciate it too. So stick around. My conversation with Playboy and CNN's Brian Karam coming up next. I'm Nicole Sandler, guest hosting today's edition of The Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I got the news. You're listening to the Bradcast. Brad and Desi are taking a few days off. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, filling in for a few days. And today we're we're taking a look at the media. The good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and I, I often talk about uh, the the reality of our world today that that we're an opposite world where nothing makes sense. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Opposite World. Right, we're there. Such was the case a few weeks ago when the White House held a social media forum and invited all kinds of the worst of the Internet trolls to the White House touting them as real journalists while the actual journalists 
you know, the ones that Trump calls fake news, were relegated to the back of the Rose Garden and treated, frankly, like the trolls that were seated up front. Anyway, after that event where there was an incident involving Playboy magazine's Brian Karam, he joined me on the broadcast to talk about what went on. It was insane. Well, after that conversation, Brian Karam's hard pass was taken away and he decided to sue. Brian Karam was in court Tuesday. We won't get the outcome until probably the end of this week or next week. But I spoke with Brian on Friday about all that's transpired since and thought you'd appreciate the update as well. So... Hey, hey. Talk to you. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. Um, I, I should say, ask how you're doing, because I guess you're currently not at the White House doing any reporting <laughs> because your hard pass has been suspended. Yes, that's true. Now, since since we confirmed that you were going to join me today, I went back and looked at the videos uh, from different angles. There's plenty of them available on on the YouTubes about what happened that day, July 11th, inside or outside at, at the Rose Garden at the, at the White House. First of all, let's step back a second. Senior White House reporter for Playboy magazine. You're a CNN analyst. You're an author of a number of books. You're um, the host of the podcast, Just Ask the Question, which is available at justaskthequestion.com. And, and again, you're usually covering the White House at the White House, but now you were suspended after this July 11th incident. Can you explain what that day was about, this whole ridiculous social media summit they had inside the White House, and who was there? <laughs> well, it was a, billed as a social media summit, but none of the big social media companies were there. It was a lot of the, uh, the bloggers that uh, write favorably in favor of the president right. and uh, they were there and they had a uh, meeting around 3:45 p.m. and then they were going to uh, have a um, it was a the summit happened at 3:45 it was closed press then it was open press and then it was pool press and then uh, at 5 they were going to have a they told us it was a press conference in fact the president tweeted out that he would have a press conference in the rose garden at uh, 5 p.m. But it, it was roped off, and the press wasn't allowed to. It wasn't a conference, a news conference at all. It was a, a statement and a signing with the attorney general, and then they took off. I asked the president if he would uh, stay and answer a few questions, and he booked it. And then, then all hell broke loose. <laughs> right. And so, all right. So, so let me ask you this. And again, I've got the um, uh, the videos here. Uh, and I'm trying to like figure out exactly what happened here. So let me just play this one video, um, and uh, you'll be able to hear the audio. You're standing there. This was right after, I, I guess, you were joking around with the people gathered there, and this is what you said. You are a punk. You're not a journalist. You're a punk. Go home. Journalist, go home. Hey, Gorka, get a job. Hey, just for the record, he'd kick your punk ass. Okay, so that was nice. What was killing me was the these trolls. I just I called it a troll summit. The trolls were, you know, saying that they were the journalists and you real guys press. were all they were real press and you were fake news um what i yeah. heard was this guy threatening you what i heard you basically say to gorka come on over here let's talk i guess what they took offense with was you saying let's go outside we can talk was yeah that i've said that to, i can't tell you over 
35 years, how many times you, I remember saying that to John McCain. I said, well, we could talk here. We can go outside and have a longer conversation. And, (laughs) and McCain said, where do you want to go? I said, how about the off the record lounge? He goes, no, they know me there. So I had to, I walked through, I walked through Lafayette park talking to John McCain. So I thought that was really funny. He, he was afraid to go in the off the record lounge, but he was okay through Lafayette park where everybody could recognize him. But, um, I've never, only in this administration would an invitation to have a conversation be construed as a challenge to a fight. Right. And then some bald guy comes up and starts talking to you who looks like um, Secret Service is what I'm guessing. And Sebastian Gorka just walks away unscathed. And then uh, then there was another video that I watched that I was very um, amused by where James O'Keefe, Mr. Project Veritas himself comes up to you and says, hey, buddy, I'm on your side. I'm one of you. We're all journalists. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I, Really? <laughs> <laughs> you see, yeah. you could have reacted well, look, differently and maybe, and maybe the response would be warranted, but you were, you were very accommodating to him. I thought you were really nice. Yeah, I, you, you know, look, I support actually independent journalism. And if that's what they want to be and do, God bless them. But there are certain standards that are adhered to. And your First Amendment rights give you the right to say anything. So all those people gathered there certainly have a right to call themselves whatever they want. But (laughs) an act of journalism is not blogging or just uh, giving opinion independent of facts. Right. There's a certain process. And as I tried to explain to one of the women there who's Dressed in a, I don't know who she is. I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I didn't know who any of these people mm-hmm. were. <laughs> but if you want to engage in journalism, at the very least, you need a copy editor <laughs> who vets your your right. copy before it goes somewhere. Yeah. At the very least, and real journal. I mean, real journalism. Today, I was in, um, involved in a effort to get uh, freedom of information requests done. Transparency in government. It's the act of getting vetted information out to the public so the public can make decisions about our government. It's not just giving an opinion on something or pretending that you have, you know, I'm manipulating video and spouting your latest conspiracy theory that makes you a journalist. That Mm -hmm. makes you someone who has the right to an opinion and God bless you for it. But uh, the act of journalism is, I can't tell you what a journalist is. And that's one of the reasons why we have problems in getting shield laws for journalists. I can tell you what an act of journalism is and how you go about doing it. Anybody can be a journalist, but a reporter and a journalist who actually engages in journalism, that's far more complicated than just going, I think blank. Right. And uh, I'm all for as many voices as possible. And, you know, there's many channels as possible and as many, you know, printed uh, uh, tabloids as possible. But Journalism is something different. Well, it is. And and there was this disconnect on this July 11th event. So you were being good-natured, I thought, making you know lemonade out of this situation. Yeah, and, well, and, the, and they want to make mountains out of molds. Right. That basically, and, the, here's the bottom line with that is this administration wants to pick us off one by one, and the people who are the leading critics against this administration, they're going after first. Me, Jim Acosta, they call yep. April Ryan a loser. Look, yep. there's no, it, they're not going to sit there and tell you we don't like the First Amendment because then they know they'll get everybody upset. What they're going to come after you doing is going, 
well, I'm, I support the First Amendment, but this guy was rude. Or I support the First Amendment, but this guy was indecorous. Or yeah. I support the First Amendment, but this guy had no right to ask this question. So they're going to pick you off one by one. They're going to come at you sideways. That's the way they operate. This is a negative, just a, a negative and naked power play by sure. the administration. Right. And it's content-based, <clears throat> and they don't want to, they do not, they want to squelch any voice that doesn't show fealty to them. Exactly. Exactly. So Stephanie Grisham, who is the new uh, Sarah Sanders, issued a statement about suspending your your pass. And she th- said this, I stand by, but stand by my decision to temporarily suspend Mr. Karam's hard pass for 30 days due to his behavior at a Rose Garden event. The purpose of a hard pass is to provide access to the White House so members of the press can report and ask questions of officials who are taking questions. Mr. Karam did not use the access granted to him for journalistic purposes. In fact, <laughs> in fact, the president had left the event. Instead, he used his press pass to insult invited guests and make comments that threatened to escalate into a physical confrontation to the point that the Secret Service intervened. That's some royal first-class bull there <laughs> well i couldn't put it better myself uh-huh. it's but here but here's the question you have to ask yourself nicole what credibility does anyone in this white house have mm. zero right they've been caught in so many lies so many times i don't know how they're going to go <clears throat> we're we've sued them we'll have a court hearing next week uh-huh. i don't know how you can go into you know, at court and have any credibility if you're in this administration. I have they no lie idea either. about everything. 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 So you are suing. You're suing to get your yeah, hard pass back? last week. Yeah. Pardon? I, 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 we filed suit. Uh, no, we filed suit last week. We got notice that we have a judge. We've asked for a TRO, temporary restraining order, to give me back my press pass while we pursue the litigation. And that will be heard sometime next week, oh, wow. Monday or Tuesday. And when is your suspension allegedly up? Pardon? When it, when is the suspension allegedly over? Oh, September fourteenth or fifteenth. Ah, I see. Uh, there probably won't be a, you know uh, there probably won't be another briefing between now and then. Just so there's that. But there are well, all they kinds. Don't have briefings th- anymore. Exactly. What they have are these events on the uh, South Lawn, <clears throat> where the president demeans the press. Yep. Uh, turns us into a small cramped corner, won't let us follow up on questions, ignores the ones he doesn't want to hear, while we compete with helicopter yes. noise and each other to be heard over the sounds of God knows what, while the president dances and spins and calls himself the chosen one. Of course. It, it's well, the most ridiculous, <laughs> ludicrous administration I've ever seen in my life. And we, for the God, for the love of God, we deserve better and the country deserves better. Yes, we do. And I, I, I long for the days where I'm, I'm in a briefing room and I'm asking two or three questions about policy and not once do I have to hear BS about a former president being at fault or the press being the enemy of the people or the economy's in great shape and if it's not it's the it's the press's fault. Right. I, I just long for a semblance of normalcy uh in, in my daily life instead of this chaotic speed blend of miasma that is in some kind of blender uh, turning us all into froth. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, it. It is what it is. I mean, I look at today and how unhinged he is today. We have a president who, um, oh, my God. Okay. He just tweeted, the Dow is down 573 points, perhaps because 
perhaps on the news that Representative Seth Moulton, whoever that may be, has dropped out of the 2020 presidential race. No, maybe it's because you're t using Twitter to tell American companies to stop doing business with China. I mean, his latest act of insanity is really frightening. Well, but Nicole, it's been look. It's it's every day. We've known where this was going since day one. Mm -hmm. When Sean Spicer walked into the Brady briefing room and told us, "Don't believe your eyes. Right. Believe what the president is saying. This is the largest inaugural <laughs> uh, group ever." Yeah. If you didn't realize then, we we were dealing with someone who's bat. You know what? Bat guano crazy. Then you are bat guano crazy because right. <clears throat> it has been off the edge, off the rails, out of control since day one, and it's not getting any better. And there were people in the beginning of the administration who had some semblance of reality to their activities, and they've been replaced with sycophants, true believers, naive and indiscriminate people who couldn't get a job anywhere else. And then you have the White House uh, communication staff, and you have to wonder how they got the clearance, right. security clearance. Right. If you look at... Stephanie Grisham's background, I, I couldn't get a security clearance oh my if God. I had all that. DUIs, plagiarism, what, I mean, uh, only the finest people, Trump hires, only the best. Only, uh, you're left with what's left. I mean, after the first group left, what, what, you, what remains are those people who couldn't get a job anywhere else. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so turned upside down by this guy who, uh, again, now is blaming the drop in today's stock market on... Seth Moulton withdrawing when it's actually his own words that are tanking the country. I'm it's frightened. His, action, his, his words. actions and his words. He's divisive. He's divisive. He's um, <clears throat> look. He's unhinged from reality. Mm -hmm. He will lie when he doesn't have to. He will. Uh, he'll tell one lie and then tell another lie to cover the lie that he told before, and another lie to explain away the other lie. He takes no responsibility for his own actions. He's a danger and a menace. And half the time I walk into that White House wondering, is someone going to arrest all these people on RICO statutes? Right? It's like a, a reoccurring criminal enterprise. You would think they should. Um, I, I, I keep feeling like the other shoe is going to drop. But I've been feeling like this really since Election Day. Hopefully the other shoe does drop soon. You, Brian Karam, have a court date next week uh, to see what goes next in your, your lawsuit against the White House. Yes, I, I, I'm going to have T-shirts made, Brian Karam versus Donald Trump. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, uh, put me down for one. I, I, will, I will buy it. And, and if anybody wonders, that's a joke based on <laughs> Donald Trump's actions where he, of course. You know, he makes T-shirts out of everything to sell. All right. Well, let me let everyone know they can hear your podcast. Just ask the question dot com is where you find it. People can follow you on Twitter at Brian Karam, K-A-R-E-M. And uh, we long for the days that there there will be um, <laughs> uh, White House press briefings again, if only for, you know, your contributions, which were always uh, one of the highlights. Well, thank you. Keep, keep up the good work. I don't envy you this fight, but I thank you for standing up to the insanity that is this administration. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And thanks for having me. My Anytime. pleasure. Thank you for coming back. I, I always look forward to talking with you. Thanks so much. While Brian Karam is banned from the White House, you can still follow him on Twitter at Brian Karam, K-A-R-E-M. And with that, we come to the end of yet another edition of the broadcast. We got one more day together. We'll see what the, the news gods bring us. 
Until then, I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, based at NicoleSandler.com, in for Brad and Desi on the broadcast. As Brad always says, good luck, world. 